welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to episode 37. I've been so excited about this episode, I couldn't wait to air it because of a couple reasons. First of all, this kind of bridges the gap between the series we're wrapping up, which is the series on nonprofit fundraising, and I'm about to start a new short series on should you start a business, a nonprofit, or both. And so this is kind of a good bridge episode between the two because the guest I have today is actually a client that I've been working with this year. She is an incredible person and has started a nonprofit. So she kind of talks through her reasoning for that and how it came about. And the interesting part, though, the other reason I'm really excited is because some of my most downloaded episodes are the grant writer strategy calls that I had aired back in episode five with Lisa Ortman, and then again in episode 12 with Alex Enns. Those were so much fun to help them talk through their next steps in grant writing. Well, this one today is the first time that I'll be doing an on-air strategy call for an actual nonprofit. So it's really fun. It's really cool. And Ashley is just an amazing person. We love working together. Actually, we met through Lisa from one of the strategy calls. So shout out to Lisa. Thank you for introducing us. Ashley started this nonprofit and she has written several grants for it herself. And at first she was kind of struggling to gain traction and really wrap her mind around all of the instructions with grant writing and what do they mean by these questions and what are they looking for, all the things that kind of go along with that. But yet, rather than hiring a full-time grant writer, she still wanted to write it herself because she knows the situation, she knows the nonprofit better than anyone, and she's a very good writer. But yet she just kind of needed some help bouncing around the strategies and figuring out how to work out some of these questions and how to really explain it in a tight, concise way. So that's where I came in. And we've had quite a few strategy sessions together now where we go through her grant application that she's working on. We talk through the questions and how she could frame the answers, kind of like we do in today's call. And then sometimes we go through and really tighten up the writing, help it fit the word count. A lot of those different aspects that you really don't think about when you just think about, oh, grant writing. But when you get down to it, there's a lot of detail that goes into it. So I've helped her work through some of that and understand the strategy behind it. And today we're specifically talking about sustainability. She is working on a grant application And there's a question that kind of had her stumped. She wasn't sure what they were asking for and what they were really looking for when they were asking about sustainability. Her nonprofit's fairly new. It's about a year old. And so she's working on this application and they want to know about her plans for the future and how she plans to continue her programs long term 
not just if the grant's awarded and the money runs out, then what? So we talk through that. And first we talk through why she started the nonprofit to begin with and the difference she's making for the families in the program. It's really life-changing. It's incredible what she's doing and her reasoning behind it and how she is just stepping up to lead. She relates to her clients in an amazing way, such an authentic person, and she's really leading by example and showing them you can do this. I have just loved watching her grow and step up to do this. So with the nonprofit sustainability, we talk through several different things such as building a reserve, setting up short-term and long-term goals, developing strong partnerships, and the importance of really having an anchored vision. If this is something that is really resonating with you, then you can book your own strategy call today for grant writers or nonprofits at teresahuff.com slash nonprofits. You can go book yours. We can talk through whatever you are struggling with, and let's get you moving forward because we need you out there changing the world. All right, so just to give you a little bit of background on Ashley, she kind of gives some of her story, but I wanted to give you more specifics about what she's doing. She is the founder and executive director of the Innovative Academy of Liberal Arts and Sciences, which she calls ALAS. It's a nonprofit that helps students and families that is a really cool two-generation model. She provides middle school students with after-school STEAM education. And if you're not familiar with that, STEAM is science, technology, entrepreneurship, arts, and mental health. And then economic empowerment education for both generations, for the middle school students and for their parents. And it's this big initiative to address the ongoing disparity specifically between Ward 7 in Washington, D.C., She also works with parents as well on financial education, job training, technology, mental health, all kinds of aspects. It's really a holistic program, and this two-generation model is incredible to watch it come together and to see the impact that it's already making, even in these first cohort families that she's serving. She has some incredible long-term plans and things are coming together the way that she's developing community partnerships and really strengthening those relationships and getting a good solid foundation in the community. You can read Ashley's full bio in the show notes or on the website, but again, book your own call at teresahuff.com slash nonprofits. And here we go. It's my pleasure to introduce Ashley McMichael. Ashley, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to connect again. I've missed talking to you the last few weeks, so I'm glad you're back here. Likewise. I was excited about this. I was like, oh, I get to see Teresa today. I know. I've missed you since our project ended. We can't wait to get you back for something else. Yes, me too. I'm ready. Well, tell us a random fact about yourself. Um, People think that I am very, very serious. A lot of times people think that I'm very serious, but I often... Um, I'm very silly at home, my family, and I make up words like when I'm talking, like they have absolutely no meaning. And I walk around (laughs) saying them. um, And sometimes like my kids repeat me and it's kind of funny. It's like not a word. (laughs) You have your own Ashley language. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, my whole family is just kind of like kind of get used to it. They're used to it now, but people be like, They're like, you're so silly, but no one sees that side of me, but like my family. That's great. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be 
doing this work now. This is such a cool story and so interesting how you got to this point and the impact that I can see already that you're making. So give us a recap of that. Um, So I actually grew up in Buffalo, New York. Um, I grew up in a single parent household. Things were kind of rough growing up. We didn't have a lot and we didn't have a car. I remember, you know, when, when, we, when I was really young, my mom would be like, uh, we, we were like running to catch the bus. And my mom was like, Ashley, run and go catch the bus. And so I would like run and hold the bus for them. And like, that was just, you know, that was us. Um, I was always a really, really independent kid. So my mom never really worried about me. Um, I would just do everything kind of like myself. Um, and then when I started to get like, maybe they're on that middle school age, um, I went through like some trauma and things like that. And then I started to act out and, um, we moved my, like we moved, uh, which was great. We moved from Buffalo to Atlanta. Um, that was kind of like one of the things I think saved my life. And then I still was kind of acting up when I got to Atlanta, but I had to come to Jesus moment. <laughs> uh, I had to go to RIDC for a little while and I was just like, oh no, I don't want to be in here. I don't want people telling me what to do. Um, so I decided to like go back to school and actually finished. Um, I went to like a alternative school and they really like took me up under their wing. And then I um, actually applied to college and I never had wanted to go to college, <laughs> but I dissected a cat while I was in this alternative school. And it was the most amazing thing that had ever happened to me in my life. And I was like helping everybody else find the body parts and they're, you know, and, and they were looking at me like, wow, you're like weird. Um, and so I was so excited to go to college. I started with forensic science, but I changed to biology. Um, and I, I was on track to be a doctor. I did several internships. And going through that journey, I started to kind of, it was like my confidence got built up and then it kind of like got dwindled down um, just by the different effects of like structural racism and like, you know, in institutions and just the imposter syndrome and like going through those different things. And so I moved to DC and that's when I was kind of going through those things um, while I was working at the NIH. And after I left the NIH, I did my master's at Georgetown and it was such a diverse class. I, re- I got to see like compete essentially, you know, not really, but um, and I saw, well, you're just as smart as anybody else, you know? And so that was kind of like a great time in my life because it was like some of the confidence was being built. And then I got pregnant at the end of my program. And my fiance, who, who's not my fiance, but at the time he wasn't, was like, I think you need to take a break. Um, you know, what my daughter had on Wednesday, I was back in class that Monday. She was with me on every internship. So I was like, you know what? I think I am a little tired. I think I am going to take a break. And that turned into me volunteering at her school. And after volunteering at her school, um, I think what really happened was like, it was like the world, my world slowed down enough to see needs, the needs of my community and things that weren't like, in my opinion, wasn't anything being done about, or they were inefficient strategies or interventions being implemented. Um, And so the first thing I did was uh, started like, um, I started the PTO, the first PTO that uh, her school had. And then I started working with the parents. At first, I started with like social emotional wellness groups where we really like dived into like parenthood and like how the way that we parent is often adopted, you know, from what we've learned. And it may not always be the best way, right? There may be another way. Um, And so we kind of started going through some of those things. But between the behavioral and emotional disturbances I saw on both sides, I was just like, 
you know, this is, this, this is not right. You know, my mom's a teacher. So I've been in education, you know, like essentially I feel like I've been there with her, you know, 30 years. Like, you know, I've, I've been in her classrooms. We had to put stuff together. I've watched children, you know? So I was just like really, really taken aback. And so that kind of led to parents saying that, oh, you know, like we need a middle school, what we're going to do. And so initially the plan was to start a middle school. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do a middle school because the politics behind it, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And then the the length of time it would take for me to actually start a school, it would be so long that I feel like so many people would get lost. We, we would miss so many people by having to wait and go through these, these different processes just to be approved as a school. So I said, you know, start a nonprofit organization will actually give us a little bit of autonomy and speed up, you know, our ability to help people. Um, and so that's what we ended up doing. And that's where the Innovative Academy of Liberal Arts and Sciences at last was born. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's so cool to hear how that came about and just how you got here to this point, because what I've seen from working with you is that you have this unusual, uncanny ability to see the gaps in services, but also to figure out how to fill those gaps where some people can't quite connect the dots or they know there's a problem, but they just are frustrated and don't know what to do about it. But you have this ability to make connections and figure out solutions to things that are really innovative and very cool. (laughs) And I can't wait to see how it continues to unfold because I think what you're doing Instead of just following what is, quote, supposed to be done or what's been done in the past. And so let's keep trying that. You've seen what's not working and you're saying, let's do it different. And you're doing it. And it's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I think we've been working hard um, in that aspect. And I do think that that is a gift because it's almost like a puzzle for me. Like it literally like how your hands were just moving. Like that is how it moves in my brain. It's like um, automatic. Like, why don't you just do this? And oftentimes, you know, it, it may not be my organization. I may just be talking to somebody else about their problem. I'm like, why don't you just do this? And they'll pause and they'll be like, oh, that is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I realize, you know, I've been impatient with people in the past because, you know, I'm like, but then I'm realizing like everybody doesn't have that ability. So, but I didn't think about it like that at first. I was just like, why don't you just do this? Yeah. I mean, I really think that's kind of your superpower is to see those solutions and be able to help fill those and figure those out. So if other people, it's taking them a lot longer to get to that point of even seeing what could we do, you're already like, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's who we need to talk to. Here's how we need to connect it. Boom. Let's do it. Like you're a get it done person. <laughs> so yeah. that's why you've come this far in such a short time and how you've been able to design these programs. The thing I love about them is they're shifting the root of the problem. They're really getting to the heart of the issues and you've lived it. We've talked about that a lot too, in our work is you've been through it yourself. You're on the front lines. So you know, what's needed from the inside out. And you can really speak to that in a way that other people can't. Yeah, I think that's a, a big part of it. Because even when I talk to some of my family sometimes, you know, they, they're discouraged, they're tired, you know, they're exhausted, you know. And so um, I'm kind of like that mix of like, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm in there, but then I am in love with reading and, and, you know, digging things up and solving problems. And so then it becomes, just like this puzzle for me, you know, and, and, and I enjoy it. And, and, and I look for ways to do that all the time. I actually thought about like, you know, when this is all over, maybe I should just get paid for my ideas. 
<laughs> like people bring me problems and I just give them ideas because I can't do everything, you know, but I'm often listening to people like you should do this. Yeah. And to you, it's so obvious where they're struggling. So yeah, I feel like you're uniquely positioned to be able to do that for people because when they're in the daily grind and just trying to keep their head above water, sometimes that's all they can think about. But where you have a little bit of a different perspective and you're studying, you're learning, you're picking up on new ideas, even if you don't realize it, the things you're doing all the time that you're learning about, it's becoming a part of how you think and your strategy. So you're able to speak to that in ways that they may not have time for because they're just trying to keep it going. Yeah. My aunt loves to say, um, you know, she said, that's one thing I love about you. You don't change. Like I even listen to you talk to other people and like, although it might be like a little bit more professional in your voice when you're using a professional voice, it's still like you. Whereas my whole pitch and tone changes in certain environments. I was like, oh, I never thought of that. She was like, but it doesn't matter what environment you, you're still you. Um, and I think that that really helps because it, it, you know, to me, your community, like I, you know, we are each other. And so to be authentic is like something that we need these days with all of the Instagram and the, you know, I, I got to be this or I have this or I'm this person, you know, it's like, no, how much do you really care about people? <laughs> like how much, you know, like, I feel like your life is measured by service. Like who are you willing to serve? Like if, if all you did was live for you and your family, then you didn't live at all. So mm-hmm. yeah, they know if you're being real or not, and they can feel that authenticity that makes a difference too, of just how many you can reach and how effectively Definitely. I agree with that. Yeah. Cause they know you really care and the families you're working with. That's what it's really going to take is somebody speaking to them from a caring standpoint, not just from a following rules or implement this, but you really care about them and they know that. Yeah. I think that's one of the joys of the struggles that you go through in this type of situation for me, because for one of my moms, you know, we were just talking and I was checking in on how therapy was and that turned into, you know, her talking about it. And then she was like, they asked me about, did I have a support system and stuff? And she just started crying. Like, and it was just like, you know, I didn't have a support system until, you know, I felt like I had you guys and no one has ever pushed me to be better, you know, or, or challenged me in that way to be better. And I just, I'm so grateful, you know, Um, And and it just meant a lot, you know, because it's like sometimes you do this work and and you go through like so many different hurdles that you're like, what am I doing? Like, is this even going to work? Like, you know, like, I don't even know, you know. And so to hear that from her and just really like, you know, it was almost like her allegiance to me. She's like, I would do anything for you. (laughs) And I was like, all right. (laughs) But it was just it was I was it was something I was very happy about. Yeah, that's so affirming to the work you're doing of how much of an impact it's making, because really people need someone to care about them and to see them for who they are and for what they are capable of, not just where they are right now, but Hey, you have this potential. You can really take this and run with it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a big, particularly for, you know, the African-American community, there are, I feel like a group of us or community of us, you know, in every city who people have said, you know, forget about them. You know, they don't matter. We don't care, you know? Um, and I really feel like a lot of the the results that you see when you look at these communities and a lot of things you see is a result of essentially almost like ignoring a problem that you created and then just thinking like, it'll just go away. And that's not how it works. So, you know, that's why I always, you know, one of our things is I see you. 
we see you, we're here. We hear you, we see you, and you know, like we're pushing you. And so it's like that, that like we, yeah, I'm going to expect something from you, but I'm going to do it in love kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like you have a way to bridge that gap because of your relatability and that you do care, but you're also not afraid to give them some tough love. So I think it's a mix of all of that. That's really powerful. Yeah. When I think about my ancestors, I feel like that's what they all had. You know, I mean, there was always some woman like Marva Collins or Harriet Tubman. um, And there was another lady who was like, um, I love this story. She would learn how to read so that that the, that her master couldn't cheat her out of her money or whatever the case was, and it was just like, um, but they called it ribs at the time, and so she was like, "He's not gonna cheat me out my ribs," you know. Um, but then she taught everybody else, and I just feel like it's just that piece. It's like, you know, as for us as a community specifically, who are we to get knowledge and you know get these accolades and, and or whatever and decide? Well, I got mine. You got to get yours. Who are we to decide that? What if your ancestors did that? And then, so I just think that sometimes we need people in this space to remind us of that, like just as the people in general. Yeah. And just to say, hey, you can do this. And that's what's so exciting about seeing what you've done, because I also see so much potential in you and what you're capable of. And so I really feel like once this thing is established and rooted here with these first few cohort families that you have, it's really just going to explode. And the plans that you have, it's crazy. I'm so excited that I've been able to watch from the beginning. I'm excited too. I try to like write them down and put them somewhere so that I don't get overwhelmed because I'm often like in a situation where I could be working on something and I just get like a flash or something else that would mediate an issue, you know? I always have to like stay on track and remind myself, okay, this is what we're doing right now. Write that down. It may come about later, but that's not what we're doing. So that's one of the ways. I try to- yeah, right. But you can at least capture it and put it sort of in your parking lot. That's kind of like an idea parking lot. Just have it there. So then when you're ready to come back to it, at least it's captured there. It's right. not just a come and go. Because I know when I have ideas, if I don't write it down, <laughs> I'll be lucky to ever think of it again. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I know you had some strategy things you kind of wanted to talk through today, too, that I'm excited to dig into. So You've had several grants that you've submitted already. You've already gotten good results from a couple of those. And then I know we worked through some strategy on one together that will be pending for a few months before you hear anything back. And then you're in the mix of some others already with this being the middle of springtime grant season. So what specific question can I help you with today? I think for me, my biggest question right now that I have is, is pertaining to how you present information about financial, like how your financial plan and your stability in a, in a written document versus like a budget or like a, some type of graph. Like how do you present that information and, and what are they thinking about? Cause I have thoughts, you know, and of course I've read a lot about this since, you know, it's like almost like every time I have to do something, I feel like I, I, I would go read a book. I'm like, geez, you know, like I feel like I'm in my own school, <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I don't get this. Let me get a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the book hasn't got here yet, but I've read a lot of articles, but I've just been thinking about how to present a, a strategy for financial stability, like how, you know, and, and what that looks like moving forward, like what things am I going to put in place along the right, along the path to make sure that our organization is financially stable. Cause I know that that is a barrier for nonprofits. It's like, 
we can't do the work or we do the work and we can't continue to do the work because we lost funding or, you know, those different things. Yeah, that's a good question. And that's a very common question in grant applications. And I agree with what you said that a lot of times a grant application will feel like I just took a college course (laughs) each time. Like you learn something new, there's something that you have to research and dig into and figure out as you go. So yeah, I know what you mean by that. Well, as far as the sustainability, that's a big piece of not just grants, but your nonprofit in general of making sure that you have a good sustainability plan. Because even as you're approaching donors or other community partners or business sponsors, you need to show your sustainability. Because if you think about it, if one is very sustainable and one is not, which one would you rather donate to? The one that is up and running and healthy or the one that's about to fall apart? And if you don't donate this last dollar, they're going to go under. So to show healthy sustainability is good on all fronts, not just for grant funding. So it's good to have that plan in place and kind of think it through. So I would look at it as if you think about a pie and then what sections of the pie If that's your financial sources of funding, then which pieces come from which areas? So do you have client fees? Do you have consistent donors? Do you have one-time donors? Do you have grant funding? Like what are all those? And you want to have a good mix. You don't want any one source of funding being your only source or being 95% of it. And then all the rest is just this tiny little piece of pie. So you want all your pieces to be fairly even across the board. And so as far as presenting that in a grant application, I would say you could approach it a few different ways. You could show like, what are you doing short term to build up funding in the immediate, you know, paying your bills month to month. But then what are you also doing to build that long-term sustainability? So what are your bigger projects farther out to show kind of the difference between You get your paycheck, you pay the bill, you put a little bit in your savings account, and then you put some in the stock market. The stock market's more of that long-term investment. So with your nonprofit, what are you doing as far as your funding sources to build up short-term and long-term funding? So you could address how you are developing those diverse income streams to where you're not just reliant on any one thing. You can show a plan, like say if you charge for any of your services, how are you going to scale that or how will that grow as you have more people entering your program? If you have community partners or sponsors, map out a plan for that. If you have corporate partnerships, you're building sustainability that way. You could show if you have any kind of in-kind support with volunteers, supplies, technology donations, how are you finding support that way? So that by the time you show that you have different things from each piece of pie, you've got a pretty good pie put together to present to the grant funder. So I guess maybe it's like, for me, I need to like build a reserve. That's one thing I know I need to do. And I actually um, am in conversation with somebody about like an investment strategy. Because I feel in my mind, that's that's the best way to do it is to have some type of investment strategy that maybe in the long run, we can turn into an endowment or something like that. But then it like really sustains itself. I know like Yale and Harvard, that's like what they did to sustain themselves in these big hospitals. But I, 
it's very interesting because I like until I read about it, I didn't know like what they were doing. But it's just interesting because it's like, oh, these nonprofits are failing, but no one really tells you about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And see the way that you're able to find that idea and research it and learn about it and decide, okay, let's do that. See, that's incredible, and that's a really cool thing because the more you do that, the stronger you're going to be. You're going to build that up. And so even though maybe you're applying for this grant application right now and you don't have that set up yet, you can still explain we're in the process of doing this. We're in the beginning stages of building up a reserve account. We plan to do this and this with it. So then that way they're at least getting a bigger picture of what your plans are and how you're not just reliant on this one grant funding coming through. And they want to know If you have this program and they give towards that, how is the program going to keep going after the grant is done? So show that you have a plan for that. Even if that includes applying for some other grants, they just want to see that you're trying and that you have a more diverse source for the funding. I wouldn't recommend saying that it's all grant-based because that can be hit and miss. I mean, you know how grants are. Funding can get pulled. If you can show that you have several sources besides just grants, but show that you have a long-term plan for those different pieces. And some of that might be shorter term and some might be longer term that you're building towards. It could be developing prospective donors for legacy giving. Maybe you don't have that yet, but you have a plan for that to start cultivating those donors or to start partnering with community organizations like you've done already, where they're providing pieces of your program so that you're not taking on the entire expense and staffing of those parts of the program, you're outsourcing, but you're building really strong partnerships through that. So that's a sustainable thing too. So with that, because it's like, everything is not like fully in the works yet. Do I just say like, this is what's in the works? Like, so short term, the, this is kind of like what we are trying to raise and what for, and then like in a, in a kind of like a step by step way or like, is that more so what you're saying? Because I know like, for instance, the after-school program, I know some schools are going to, you know, want that. And so that's one way that we'll be able to um, diversify income because they'll, that the schools will be paying for the after-school program, rather that be through OSI or whoever, which that, that no longer makes us responsible for that aspect of it. Um, so do you mean by that? Yeah, that could be one aspect too, because that's probably a big chunk of your expense is the after-school program itself. So then if schools are paying for that portion, then that's definitely a way to keep that part running and funding it as it grows, as you get more students in it. So basically it's look at the stuff you're doing and the plans you already have, but you're pulling them in to frame them under this sustainability piece to show that, yeah, here's what we're doing. So a lot of it, if you just sit down and think about the stuff you've already got on paper, probably a lot of that you can pull in. So should I start it off with something like currently we're trying to raise this amount of money or like our fundraising goal for this year is this. And then we should do, cause like I had it set up in my mind cause it's organized in my mind, but I know that I have to convey that. So like I, my first thing was like, we got to get to 150,000 because if we get to $150,000 at least we'll be able to apply for the catalog of philanthropy. If we apply for the catalog of philanthropy, everybody in DC will kind of like know about our organization and there'll be like all these opportunities to get help. Like that, like I know someone who actually went from like a $200,000 budget to a million dollars that in the following year, just off of 
that, in my opinion. And so I was like, okay, so we got, that's like step two. <laughs> we have to get in there and in, in City Bridge and things like that. So we already got City Bridge. So like, it's like, should I present it like that? Like, so, okay, so this is like, we're trying to reach this to meet this. And then that kind of situation. Yeah. But I would start with, here's what we've done so far oh, and the things that you have done. Then for this year, here's our goal. And then long-term, here's what we're building and here's the plan. So that way you're showing we've got the foundation in place. Here's what's next. Then here's what's next. Like you're building on that. Okay. That makes sense. And then, yeah, I would definitely mention your plans with the city bridge thing, how that's really going to help with your long-term goals, because that's already in place and explain why you've done that to be able to help down the road to strengthen those skills for that piece of it. I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. Because I definitely looked at that question like, mm, am I going to submit this grant or not? Because I thought it was cool until I got to this question. <laughs> <laughs> Don't skip the grant just because of one question. We can wrestle through it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's a matter of the answers are there around you. You just need to know which ingredients to pull. Yeah. And I think like because of the stigma around like nonprofit organizations and a lot of times, sometimes, you know, African-American nonprofit organizations that, you know, may fail because of like lack of funding and just in general, in my community, the community, the conversation around finances automatically, like you see that question and you get intimidated. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Now I think also it speaks to your sustainability of how many community partners you've already brought in with this thing and how many people are already committed to helping and involved in the program itself. I mean, I've seen your list of people. You've got an impressive staff there and not just staff, but the community partners in general, like this whole network you've built. You're making this really tight web to increase the success of each aspect of your program. So I think that definitely speaks to the sustainability. And should I add, because I, I, I've been talking to my partners and one of the cool things about my partners like one of my partners, like pretty much found a way to reduce how much I pay her on her own um, in terms of like, oh, well, you know, I don't think we should carry this out for 16 weeks. I think we should do, you know, two hours, one hour coaching, one hour class and then a coaching session on whatever they just learned. So each class is like two hours, you know, um, over a 10 week period versus 16 weeks, you know. Um, so, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that shows good fiscal management. They're not just in it to collect money as much as they can. They're in it to really help you stretch your True. dollars. And I mean, my partners are amazing. Like literally it's like, oh, if you don't have funding, like we'll do the cohort. We ain't even not asking you for the money until mm-hmm. we like, and we, I trust you enough to know that like, you're not going to get like a big grant and be like, oh yeah, still do this for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm like, yeah, you know me, I couldn't even do that if I wanted to. Yeah. So they're in it to help and they're committed to the vision itself, which I think is really important too, is to have that anchored vision that everybody knows, here's what we're working towards. This is why we're doing this. And it's bigger than any one of you. You're all collectively working towards that big vision. Right, definitely. Anything else around that? No, it helps a lot. Now I will have, like, you know me, I'm like one of those people that once I get the information, now I have to, like, my brain's going to, like, soak it up, try to produce it, and then I'll Mm -hmm. have questions later. Yeah, now you just need to kind of go soak in that for a little bit. Good. If it's more clear now because I was like, I couldn't find any like examples of an answer to a grant question like mm-hmm. that. And then it's not like a super long question either. So it's like you have to be yeah. somewhat concise in like how you're presenting the information. Mm-hmm. So 
I was just like, okay. (laughs) Right. Well, and as you're thinking it through, it's going to be big and messy, but just think it through with all the messiness and that's okay. And then you can pull out the parts that are really going to make it clear step-by-step to answer the question, but that's okay to have just start brain dumping everything. And then you can decide what's the most impactful to show that. But I think what you mentioned about this kind of the logical progression of what you've done short-term, long-term, I think that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. At least I know I was on the right track. Cause like everything you said, I had, I had, I had revenue mix and I had like the, you know, those kind of things and like breaking it down. And so I just was, I just, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to tell you like, yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah. Like, right. Even, Cause you know, it's like, you don't know unless like somebody else who knows, knows. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I know. And sometimes you just need to talk it through out loud with somebody that can bounce that around and it's fun to do that. So, well then as we wrap up, tell us, is there a resource that has been meaningful to you throughout all of this journey? Aside from you. Oh, thanks. The book Grant Unicorns hmm. is by Marissa Noble, I think. It was a, it was, it's a small little book. After we didn't get our first grant, I went and read that book. And I told you, like I was reading, I was paying someone. And I looked at it, their, their thing that they wrote. And I was like, what is this? You know? And I like went and redid it and we actually won it. And so it was like, okay, so this book has some weight to it. So yeah, uh, that and um, a logic model, the uh, Kellogg's logic model um, mm-hmm. guide, I enjoyed, I didn't, I kind of enjoyed it, but um, it did make the writing process easier when you're writing grants to have a logic model. Um, and I think creating your logic model as you're going through the guide is like the best way to do it. And then it like helps your responses moving forward. So, yeah. Yeah. Logic model does help, even if it's not required for the grant, it helps you just to make sure your message stays on track and that you're sticking to those same core ideas throughout yeah, your project. Definitely dope. And it, it, it kind of gives you like a more of a centeredness mm-hmm. um, about the work. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. Awesome. Yeah. I like hearing about new books. I'll have to add that to my list. All right. Well, thank you. It's been good catching up and good to finally chat with you again. And we'll have to find another project to work together on soon. Likewise. If you are a grant writer or a nonprofit and you're just struggling with your grant game, book your own call today at teresahuff.com slash nonprofits. And let's get you moving so you can make a bigger impact. We can talk through your strategy, talk through your grant questions, and help you move forward faster so that you can help your nonprofit more effectively. If you know of someone that could benefit from this episode, would you please do me a favor and share it with them? That way we can help spread the word and help more nonprofits hear the information so it can help them with their mission too. All right, my friends, thanks for listening. Now go change your world.